So welcome to Plant on That Note, a new podcast focusing on songs and music and the role they play in our community, be it local or international. In today's podcast, we will focus on America, its songs, music, ideas, or foundations that may have shaped it. Today's guests are Mark Long and Yael Osowski, both North Americans. Hello, lads. How's it going? All right. How are you doing? Doing very well. Great, great. So, um, lads, before we get into it, I just want to uh, give a little brief description of what you have done or where you've been, because I think it's very, very colourful. Um, Mark Long, born in the USA over a half a century ago, he tells us, grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, the Bible Belt, son of a Southern Baptist preacher, moved every few years when the church wanted some, someone, or someone new to lead their flock. Colorado, Montana, worked at Red Rocks, for you two fans you'll know that one, um, worked with the Indigo Girls, um, you have lived in Vienna for 15 years and um, for those in Austria, Mark has worked with Van der Bellen in the election last year, he's an activist, pacifist, <laughs> we'll take that, we'll take that, um, from knowing Mark I would say he loves the planet and all things nature based. Would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, it'd be a fair assumption. He's a forward free thinker in my book. Um, he has some Irish blood as well, I think. Some. Yeah, some Native American. Yeah. Also, and um, yeah, a little bit of a musical surprise there as well. And on to Yale Osowski. Um, Yale is in Public Relations Director at the Consumer Choice Centre. He's a senior, senior Development Officer at Students for Liberty. A contributor to a host of magazines and websites. A journalist and a writer. I'd like to make a distinction there, if I can, Yale. Very true. Um, <laughs> he grew up in Canada, Quebec. It's a French-speaking area. He's bilingual, but I know he's also learning um, German here in Vienna. Um, his home is the Carolinas. Would you call that home? Yeah, North Carolina. North Carolina. Um, his family are involved in NASCAR. And for those of you who don't know NASCAR, it's racing, but we'll get back to that. Um, very, very interesting history there. And... Um, so yeah, for me, both of the lads are from the South, would it be fair to say, South, Southern Americans, which is um, very, very interesting. And Yael tells me he's been to 50 countries so far, working wow. on the projects that he's involved in. So, um, I mean, brilliant. I first thought of bringing the two of you together a couple of months ago, and I was very excited, and I'm very excited now. Even in the pre-chat, I was like, no, please stop talking, because we've so much <laughs> we want to talk about, and you are great. So, um. Let's get it going then. I'll put this to you, Mark. Mm -hmm. Being an American. Yeah, by birth. What is that to you? Well, it was... Uh... Oui. That's a big question. I, I'd almost say it's like a wasted opportunity. Okay. <laughs> it's like... I'm not going to go into political direction here, but I think as an American we had... Uh, we had the opportunity to take our country in a direction in the 60s that would have created a, a more beautiful world now. But uh, we didn't go that way. Uh, we got hijacked in the 80s and consumer ca capitalism took a, took a really ugly turn. And yeah, I don't know. I don't define myself as an American anymore. I see myself as someone from the planet. Okay. Uh, the, my mother's name is joke. Uh, isn't funny anymore, but, you know, 
when people used to ask me where I was from. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel better about being here. And, uh, honestly, I felt freer being here than I ever felt traveling around the States. Well, that's great. Well, it's great that you are here because you bring such a colour to Vienna. And I think Vienna has that, um, that mixing pot. It's almost like a waterfall, isn't it? The pool yeah. of a waterfall. Um, and America is, I think, is that as well for humanity. It's almost like a pool. You know, it mm. brings oxygen. Yeah, twists and turns. You know, sometimes it's rough, sometimes it's smooth. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to put that question to you, if I may, or even the statement. Sure. Uh, I also have some Irish blood in me, my great-grandmother, by the way. So, yes. No, I didn't yeah, yeah. know that. Took me a I'll get on to my researchers. Yeah, she, uh, she, uh, she moved to Canada from uh, Ireland, so one of these. Uh, I guess being an American, for me, it was something that I actually had to work for. Uh, most people were just born into the society, at least my family. We had to put a lot of our grit and money and time uh, into it. It took 15 years uh, from the time that my family landed in the U.S. and you know, we became sort of residents, uh, alien residents as they call it. It took us 15 years to get our citizenship. And by that point, I had already moved back to Canada. I was doing university, almost done, and I had to fly back in so I could take the citizenship oath and do the rest. Uh, it was always very difficult for me because I actually defined myself my entire life as someone in opposition, right? someone who's against the current. And it was very easy for me to say that being able to go home uh, after school and speak French with my mother and just have a completely kind of different view on the world. Uh, we weren't shaped by southern traditions or customs. We didn't really eat southern food. It was always there whenever we'd go to friends' houses and people would talk to us about God and all the evil that would come upon us if we didn't believe in him. Um, but there definitely was this kind of opposition feeling that I always had. And, and for me, later in life, I think I, I more attach myself to my French-Canadian identity. Uh, French-speaking people in North America are a minority in the first place. And the battles that they've had to fight against British colonialists or Native American tribes and all the rest, I mean, that is a very complex and long history and story. And, you know, there are many people that have stayed in Quebec and haven't had the opportunities that I have had. And I'm very grateful every day that my father took the decision to move down south uh, because of NASCAR, as he stated, but move down south, uproot our lives, move to the United States. And even if I don't live there now and I haven't lived there in four years, I will say that I'm, I'm better off for having grown up there, understand the principles that I believe are really important that are at the heart of the society. And I think that's what has allowed for a beautiful culture to come around, around entertainment and arts mm. and music. And I think we're actually in a very good position now uh, because for so long, artists didn't know what to focus on necessarily. You know? And I think this, there, there is a, a kind of feeling that there is something we can fight against. You know, it's the yeah. same feeling yeah. mm -hmm. that Bob Dylan had and those that uh, were in the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a great lead into my next, my next um, piece. I love America, and in turn, I also feel an anger there, you know. And I think it's always been that way. I love the flamboyance and I love the... I've always loved the entertainment values of, of the US. And even my background is in animation. I'm Irish, so we, we have a stake in the States and North, all of North America, I think. Um, and, you know, to think that the music that has come back is a combination of all the cultures, be it French, be it Native American, be it Irish, be it African. Um, and, and, and to me, it's, it's a really colourful society. So, yeah, I mean... I can't be angry at that. I am 
kind of confused at what's going on now, but you're dead right. Yeah, it gives us a very, very good platform to focus and mm -hmm. create more art. And I think that's one thing the United States has done and Canada, Canada has done. Even Mexico, you get this melting pot of, um, of cultures that create an art form. And it's, it's gone around the world. I mean, you know, North America is responsible for giving English to the world in a sense, you know. If you think of it like with the internet and with, with movies and Hollywood. Um, but just to touch on the music, Al, you know, did you have um, French music at home or was it English? So this is the thing is that my, my parents themselves didn't really listen to music uh, much. You know, this is something that I actually had to acquire myself. Uh, so I actually took a huge effort uh, to look up popular French-Canadian music, to find the, the latest artists and bands. I would uh, go and work there um, every summer once I turned 15, and I would go and talk to my uncle and my cousins and my family and find out who are the artists, who should I be listening to. I was really rediscovering the culture that I didn't have uh, when I was a younger person because everything was American and everything was kind of local stuff. So in the beginning, I was in the Leonard Skinner and ACDC and all the rest. Um, but then move, going to Quebec back and forth and learning much more from my family, I was able to learn about, you know, Les Cabots Fréguins. I was able to learn about Les Colocs and the great bands of, of even the 80s and early 90s that really made a huge influence on Quebec society okay. and the big sort of struggles that they had. At that time, it was Quebec independence, uh, which for many artists in Quebec is still a huge, huge motif and uh, continues to be. So that's definitely one interesting thing that, uh, that I had growing up. Yeah, it's fascinating because you do, you do create these enclaves almost, don't you? Mm. And even, I think, in the South, mm -hmm. there, you know, even on, on a larger scale, there's an enclave, even though there's so many different traditions in there. Growing up, um, Mark, I mean, Baptist gospel yeah. surely must have been huge. Well, well the thing is, it's like I, I had kind of like the same uh, experience I did because in a different way because I grew up in the church. So it's like singing was a, a major part for us, but we didn't have the, uh, you know, once you go away from uh, the church scene, uh, you just had the popular music type, uh, top 40 stuff. And would, would that have been country and western? Or? Well, not for, no, not for us at that time. It was just like you said, Leonard Skinner, ACDC, you know. But I was lucky that I had a, a, a sister that was six years older than me. Okay, and that when I was about 14, 15, I started listening to what she was listening to. And even younger, I was like going in her room and taking down her Led Zeppelin and, and uh, Joni Mitchell and listening to it. And so that was my luck that uh, I had an older sister who was able to influence my range of music uh, and, and see more things. And then she went to school in Athens, of course. At the time, everything happened. R.E.M. was still playing in a little, little church, you know. Right, okay. And so... I was really lucky at 14 and 15 to see all these things. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned something again in the pre-chat that I didn't know about your grandmother. Yeah. It? No, great aunt Rose Stanley. Yeah, great aunt Rose Stanley. Uh, come from a musical family that she played at the Grand Old Opry. She was the opening act at the Grand Old Opry, and it was the first night that they satellite, not satellite, radio transmitted the broadcast from tower to tower. So she was the first woman live singing on the radio. That's wow. incredible. <laughs> so um, on that note then, maybe you'd like to give us or introduce a song that you chose for today's show and say a little piece about it. And Well, I mean, it's a song that I wrote uh, and that my friend Daniela Vimmer uh, put the music to. Her artist's name is Koshiva. 
And it's a very soft song, but it explained my feelings after my first year of being here in Vienna. And so I wrote it about Vienna. And what's it called? The Presence. Walking in the woods, we got turned around Halfway up, coming back down The snow was old, our intentions seemed new I felt just like what we used to do Stimulating breeze with a crystal feel Reflects upon thousands of pleasure squeals We know our wants and give our needs Joining in this one rap Shall see the perfect place to leave our trace. Austria is Karan's true presence found in Vienna is peace. That is our goal. Come and join us with your souls. Time to honor the muse. We have no fear of what is loose. A time for all to be heard and seen as near. Let go of everything and all becomes clear. Centuries part, explode their seas. All universal creatures have different needs. And the concept of time, we all seem to be lost. Admit to this that there is. There's no cost, the perfect place to leave our trace. Austria is coming around, it's true presence. And Vienna is peace, that is our goal. Come and join us with your souls. The perfect place to leave our trace. Austria is coming around, it's true presence. mentioned earlier on about NASCAR, an interesting topic for me, but please tell us a little bit more about it. I think uh, most people in the South will definitely know about NASCAR, hear about it, know someone who's gone to a race, or at least see some advertising. I think what's fascinating about it is you've had um, basically decades now of people who get into cars and drive incredibly fast, and it's now a multi-billion dollar industry. And in the South, at least, it's a huge employer, and I think it's really shaped by the history of prohibition in the South. That's kind of where NASCAR sprang from, and a lot of the early NASCAR drivers were themselves bootleggers uh, who had moonshine in their trunk and were running from the cops, just like Dukes of Hazard, and were able to kind of make a, 
a professional sport out of it once some business people got involved. And, and I think now for me, it's something that defined a lot of my childhood. doesn't necessarily shape my life now. You know, the, the races are on a bit too late on Sundays uh, for Vienna time. And uh, for my family, though, it's still a very important aspect. It's not just my dad uh, who works in this industry and has done so for over 25 years, but my uncle who builds engines, my cousin who builds the bodies, and even my brother who's changing tires at the racetrack uh, every single week. We don't see each other now because he's on the road every single week. Uh, changing tires, going over the wall, but it definitely uh, was something interesting for me uh, growing up. It allowed me to be part of the Southern culture, uh, sort of artificially, without ever having been born there. So it was great. Well, well, again, I, I think it's fascinating because if you think you mentioned moonshine, you mentioned um, prohibition. You know, you keep going back in time, and you can see where the moonshine tradition came from. Settlers bringing whiskey stills across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and with them they would have brought their music and their culture and you know the songs and from that would have come bluegrass like from Ireland from Scotland mixing with um, German mixing with Italian players down south who would have been either working on who began to work on the coal mines and the Appalachians and and then who who in turn became um, very um, active in the strikes and the unions of the late 1800s and the early 1900s in America which fed into all of the music, the Prohibition, the, the Moonshine, the um, the NASCAR, and, and, you know, the Woody Guthrie's, the Pete Seegers, and all these people who were singing about that. So for me, it's like, it um, reflects America, and the American culture, Nashville, the Appalachian music, tunes. And added like to that. that, you don't even have just, uh, you know, the, the, let's say, the force of the Im immigrants that are coming. I mean, you have native black populations that were able to put together just beautiful melodies and songs yeah. and stories of heartbreak and blues. And I think it, it's something that, you know, we have in sort of the mainstream society and culture now just kind of taken for granted that this was very fringe at the time, you know, and this is obviously now it's very commercialized and there's a lot of money that goes into promoting it and, and turning it to different uh, channels. But this is a, a way that people had of sort of feeding their pain and putting it into an, an art, into a craft. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. But you can't talk about American music without mentioning the African influence. When you think about the rhythms, the beats, um, even the vibes that they brought across, and you look at the suffering, how that made its way into the music. And along with all the other cultures and sounds and rhythms and beats that were there, it helped create this massive melting pot in the South that spread across America. And again gospel it's all about when dare dare we say you know the spiritual element ah uh, dare dare uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey spiritualism and religion are uh, two entirely different things yeah so. <laughs> and when you were moving around mark where were the type of towns you were well we moved in and around atlanta every every sometimes we'd like the horror would be landing in a smaller town with like 25,000 for a couple of years that was just uh it wasn't simple you know but that's I think it shaped my my uh my way of being able to speak with anyone at any time you know so um yeah but but you left yeah of course yeah I was like I always got drawn back to the city center that was what saved me was you know, going to school in, in Atlanta and then living close to little five points and on the weekend and one bar you had the Indigo Girls, and then the bar across the street you had uh, Widespread Panic every weekend. You know, and you had no idea in 1987 that 
these people were going to become as big as they became. You know, he just took it for granted. It was great music. It was a beautiful time, but, you know, just popping between bars and listening to a couple of songs. And you worked with the Indigo Girls. Yeah, I got asked to go on the road by Michelle Malone. And so I was on the Swamp Ophelia tour for a year and a half. And that was a, a very rewarding experience <laughs> to be traveling and see everything. But I, I read in your, um, in your, in your press, that press release that you were heading for South America. Yeah, when Bush, when I saw that Bush was going to run for president, I knew it was time to leave. So it was like, I wasn't headed for South America, I was headed for Central America. I was just going to go down to Guatemala and, and see where, I had saved money for two years, and I knew that I didn't want to live in the States when he was president. You know, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to leave for good. You know, I thought I'd be going back, but it didn't happen that way. I ended up in Vienna. And yourself, Yael, Vienna? Yeah, I think... Uh... For me, you know, it wasn't really, um, the French word is fuir. We don't really have this word in English, but it, it's sort of to escape. Uh, I, I never really felt like I was escaping uh, the U.S. Obviously, I have a very different experience than that of my, my cousin. Uh, she's actually only just one year younger than me, and her family moved uh, to North Carolina as well for the NASCAR uh, element, and the immigration situation didn't work out in her favor. And she went into the situation where she was in her last year of university, and was basically aged out. And her visa had expired, she had no opportunity to stay, her dad's visa didn't work for that anymore, she was too old, she was over 18. Uh, so at that point, she basically faced the choice of having to move to Canada. And her family now lives in North Carolina, and she can come and visit as a tourist, uh, but doesn't have the right to stay in, uh, in, North, in the United States. Mm -hmm. I didn't really face that, you know, for me it was more just educational opportunities. My, my grandfather was himself German and I started speaking German with him and learning about sort of German history and culture and he always just, every time we went there, uh, would tell us all about Friedrich de Grossa, we'd learn all about history and, and all the big wars that were fought and about the empire of Prussia and where he was born. And that kind of fascinated me and as did European culture and history. I think that's what first pushed me to study abroad, uh, later find love in Vienna. And uh, after, you know, moving up and down the United States and, and being a journalist and, and doing some reporting there, I uh, really thought it was a good opportunity to move to Vienna about four years ago. And uh, I couldn't be happier. You know, I've, I've written a lot about my decision. Um, I don't think it's as conscious of an expatriation as, as Mark's situation. <laughs> uh, but it, it's definitely something to where this is a place. And it, it, this is not the first generation. Um, obviously... Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald and a lot of great American authors at the time saw a very repressive culture in the United States in the 1920s after the First World War. And they thought it best to move to, to Paris and to Spain and to get away from you know, the censors uh, that, were, that were alive in America at the time. Well, James Joyce was in Trieste, and, which is not too far. And uh, James Joyce was, it was a big part of it because uh, you know, his books were being burned uh, all over the United States, a lot from sort of the same anti-saloon league prohibitionists uh, that we talked about in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so it's coming full circle. Yeah. But um, I think that the, 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 the one thing that the three of us have, um, the common thread to Vienna is obviously, it's a lady, it's a specific yeah. lady. We've all got um, Austrian and specific others, I think. Yes. Um, or better halves, maybe, is the case, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm the same. I'm here because of, um, because of, uh, is it spiritual freedom? No. <laughs> music, musical expression, and um, yeah, love, I suppose. 
let's get back to some music, Gail, if we could. I know you mentioned earlier on that you had uh, friends in music. You'd like sure. To... A good friend of mine, uh, Fred Heinz, started a band, Late Night Special, and the idea there was just, hey, let's talk about our experience growing up in the South, got some good music, let's just kick some tunes, have some fun. And uh, he's starting to get a lot more serious now. He's, he's got kind of a, a nice little southern tour and uh, coming out with the second album. So it's uh, just the quintessential element of being relaxed in the south. And uh, my good friend Fred Heights on the vocals does, uh, does an amazing job. So do enjoy.
So that's Disco from Late Night Special. Um, thanks a million, Yael. It, um, it, I tell you, it, for me, that song just wants to make me get out into nature. And um, being in Austria, you're in a you're in the perfect location. We're here in Vienna, sitting looking out looking out at the Wiener Alt. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got a sunny, sunny day. You'd mentioned um, living in Austria, Yael, gives you that sense of natural freedom, maybe. Yeah, I think this is a a, a place that. You know, for, for many hundreds of years, it was the seat of an empire. Uh, but really, I think it's just the starting point for all the beauty that is Austria. You know, from just one to two hours from here, you can be at a beautiful lake, view of beautiful mountains. This is not anything that I, that I really had uh, kind of growing up. Obviously, North Carolina is a pretty diverse state. we got mountains uh, in the west, we have the beach in, in the east. So as a landlocked country, uh, Austria doesn't offer that. Uh, but still, to, to see such pristine beauty beautiful water and nature. I know that it's very inspiring and it was very inspiring for a lot of authors and poets who even made their way through here. And I think uh, that's something that I hope we can contribute to as uh, activists or uh, uh, artists or, or anything else now and really try to understand you know, the beauty. also as well. Yeah. Um, Activism. Activism. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, it's a, it's funny when you said pacifist and activist because I really had to think about that. I mean, because I am a, an activist and a pacifist at the same time. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, to look at it. Uh, but uh, not as passive as I used to be, that's for sure. <laughs> I, uh, I've been active, God, for 30-something years now. So where does that start, though? Well, it's like rebellion. It starts, you know, growing up in the church and and seeing the workings of the church, all right? And then that makes you question everything. And so, and it brings this level of confusion added to the, to the, the teen angst. And I was just so confused as a kid about where it was all going. And there was a lot of anger because I wasn't happy being moved around all the time. And I wasn't happy seeing the hypocrisy. I mean, that's the one thing. When you're Moving from church to church, you see the hypocrisy. Uh, and so I was very, uh, uh, see, I can't, jaded, you would say. And uh, I was very lucky to, to move back into Atlanta. And like I said, you know, we had the Indigo Girls playing one bar and widespread playing the other. But the Indigo Girls, for me, were uh, an enlightenment. I mean, there were these two women who were very open about their... Uh, who they are and who they were and their sexuality and their activism. It's like they, they linked... They, they, I did a benefit with them for, a, for an environmental group, an environmental lobbying group in Atlanta in 88. And they drove back all night from New Orleans to play this one benefit. And it was just their, their level of dedication. And it's never gone away. I've been following them for 30 years now and watching what they do. And they were what actually kicked off the big uh, um, activity at Standing Rock when they signed that piece of paper and said, we're not going to play concerts for this, for this man anymore because he's the one paying for the pipeline that's going through the Standing Rock Indian Reserva Native American Reservation. This is what brought this whole thing to the light. Uh, so they've been active the whole time. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you talk of Standing Rock, I'm glad you mentioned that now, and I suppose that's where 
North America is, isn't it? I mean, you've got the Canadian thing, but more in the US with with um, Trump, there seems to be a lot of changing values now. I don't think people have changed values. I think uh, uh, I think things that have been hidden are now being brought to light. Um, but I also think that we are going to we're going to come out better. It's, I didn't think this a uh, hundred days ago, but because we we have to come together to to make our world a better place and question everything that's been happening. So mm. it's not a question of the values changing; it's a question of uh, of uh, encompassing <clears throat> the energy that brings about the positive change. Has the value changed? The value. The value of what. Um, people want I think that once you start seeing that um, taking away the national monuments going into the Native American land um, you, people are starting to question all of a sudden can should we be doing this to future generations okay people who didn't question before uh, it's not about this moment and that's the, the Native Americans you know the seventh generation the decisions that we make for our grandchildren's grandchildren I think people are are waking up to that and because this has happened. One thing that I've seen is that there's been a huge uh, obviously splintering which I actually view as a very positive thing. It's a, a greater decentralization which I think we need uh, because we actually are not fully controlled just by the powers that be far far away. We, we do have a lot of uh, power to change things in our community and I think that's why we're kind of drawn to Vienna uh, but why in the US you know people who are are looking to the federal sort of situation and trying to define their lives by it in a way you know they have the power to change things locally and I think that's why I was always drawn to activism um, I've done that for the better part of four years now traveling around Europe and, and different parts of the world um, more obviously for for different issues uh, economic uh, young people that are just trying to get a job start a business do all the rest and also the idea of uh, open borders and open societies and sharing cultures and you know, meeting people, whether it be in, in the Balkans or in uh, different parts of India, who are, are actually actively fighting so that they can you know, sort of raise themselves up and are able to share their culture with other people. And I think by decentralizing the power structures, which I think people now uh, are waking up to, and I think people understand the benefit of that. You know, we don't need to have our lives uh, ruled over by just a, a few decision makers. We very much have the capacity within ourselves to make the decisions. That's why we all kind of voluntarily, in a way, came here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think yeah. we're all sort of uh, motivated to, whether it be for, uh, for Standing Rock or, or whether it be for sort of different causes that we're advocating for. You right. know, these are the yeah, things that yeah, we yeah. know shape our present and will shape our future. And I also think that people now see alternatives. When you say decentralizing, it's like you see that there are more alternatives to be seen and used mm. than, than what people were looking at before. People are questioning. Mm. I was part of the, uh, the Occupy uh, movement in the very beginning in okay. the United States. Uh, I was going down to debate the Federal Reserve. Uh, other people were debating other things. But what I saw there is that people were actually themselves creating alternatives, different uh, sort of educational fields, holding their own lectures. Uh, people were able to come together and debate, and it, it was a beautiful sight to see. And mm. I think that's what we need, and I think that's what culture and music specifically provide is that they allow us to discuss these issues and come onto the same plane instead of sort of putting ourselves in our own encampments 
uh, where we're not exchanging ideas and yeah. you know building these eco chambers, which I think are are dangerous uh, in a way, uh, but only because we create these kind of artificial rules. You can't come into my eco chamber. You can't raise this thought. You can't have that idea. And uh, for so long, I think that that's something that was always permeating underneath, and we're seeing a lot more of that now. Well, well, in Vienna, you do get that sense that um, things are changing and people are coming together. I'm involved in the Vienna Songwriting Circle, and we have a group of 50 to 60 songwriters now from all walks of life. Um, and I think our ethos and manifesto now is to, like we have a, we have a heading, when we're writing songs, when we go into the room, we want to know what's it for, what's it about, what are we writing for? Mm -hmm. Okay, there is a time for love, there's a time for peace, but when you're a songwriter, you have to have something to say, and that's what I think music as a role, has a role in our society, that it, it, it we are trying to encourage our writers to really look at things and spread the light or spread the word and as you say Yael get people talking get people focused on the issues and um, in, in a way like comedy music has a, has a way to bypass the censors you know to slip in and, and plant its, its mm -hmm. message without being too aggressive maybe when sometimes aggression is needed you know I think maybe a soft revolution I don't know but well, that's what I like about your song uh, The Last Trees that's why, that's why I really enjoy that song because of the way you work it in there what what's going on and, and like people it goes into people's heads well I mean if when I was writing that that was the, the plan I, I love to sing and I love to sing about things that matter and that was a very emotional moment for me when I wrote that song so I'm glad that it, it does that it's not an aggressive you know um, I suppose head banging idea it's just to I don't mean that nothing against the headbangers out there, <laughs> but it's just you know that you're banging your head a bit against the brick wall to get yeah. a message across. I think melody and music is the perfect platform for that. And in, in my house, and when I was growing up in Dublin, um, songs were always about emotion and feeling and coming together. Mm. Um, but yeah, we've drifted off there, which is great, and that's that's what this this I mean that's why I wanted us to get together, sit and talk. I think we've got the. Um, the potential to do 12 of these shows together, the three of us. Um, but I'm, I'm just uh, noticing that we're coming towards the end of our podcast. But um, I just want to, we, we touched on borders and we touched on, I know we, we know there's a lot of things going on in, in the States at the moment. And I suppose even in Europe, there's a lot of talk of borders and walls going up. Um, this, next, this next song is by, um, is by a, a great Irish singer-songwriter. And um, he's been a very big influence on me and my music. And a lot more people besides. His name is Jack L. Or Jack Lukeman. And uh, this is called Open Your Borders. Well, all I got these days are dirty thoughts. I need to find someone to help me clean them up Time will take its toll on a homeless soul You become love's refugee So open your borders and let me in I don't want to climb no barbed wire Just give the order 
So, boys, we've come to the end of our podcast. Um, I've had a great morning with you, and I hope you have enjoyed it. The yeah. little, little chin wag, as we'd call it at home. <laughs> Nobody has touched the croissants, but maybe later. Before we close it down, I'd like to ask, maybe, Yael, you can give us a, a little closing closing gamut on what you're doing. I know you're you're writing a book. You will be writing a book. I'm yeah. sure you will. It's Is one of my projects, yeah. <laughs> or, um, or, you know... We started with America. Should we finish with that? Maybe? I think I think it's an idea. I think uh, you know what what I've been doing uh, for the last few years in in writing uh, and being a journalist here in Vienna as well is I'm just trying to get ideas across. And I think principles. If principles are the things that motivate us, I think that's what creates uh, not only strong people and beautiful people, but beautiful music as well. Uh, so I'm continuing to write. I continue to investigate. Still doing activism. Uh, mostly here it's for people you know protecting their social liberties um, I've done that in, in Europe for the past four years and in the US and now we're helping people in Venezuela uh, who are battling against a very repressive regime uh, much the same in Belarus people being thrown in jail these are the people that we're we're fighting for and uh, that's what I've been very busy doing the last few years and I hope to continue doing it and uh, doing a lot more and it's uh, again a very beautiful place to be in Vienna and it gives me every single day a lot of inspiration to do what I want to do. So I love that. Well, that's great to hear. I wish you all the best with that, Gail. Thanks a million. Thanks, sir. Mark. Yes. Maybe you'd like to close out the show, but um, firstly, um, thanks to the both of you for coming yeah, in. Sure. It, it's been great, and um, I've learned a lot, and I love talking to you, and I know we'll be talking for a lot longer. Uh, I just want to clarify that I'm definitely not a journalist, <laughs> but uh, I am a writer, and I'm working on my first book right now, too. And 
well, my first book. And it's a, it's a way of getting people to, uh, to see things w without irritating them. All right, you know, it's like you open. It, it, I have an idea that I that I haven't seen before, and I'm ex I'm very excited about it. So, um, and I would like to finish up this this podcast with one of Shane's songs because we we've been talking about activism and we've been talking about um, how we how we move people and get their energy up, and this song, all right, is a. It's such a it's such a sweet song, and the first time I heard it, I knew that this is a radio song. I just knew it when I heard it. And you got to remember, it's not too late, okay? And that's what we have to keep. It's not too late. This is the last trees. a mess while we twist and turn and wonder but it's our world ours I guess and it's ridiculous to think we'd ever make them change to think we'd ever turn their heads when the turning would mean they changed I'm so sorry for all the things we didn't do or say When the truth makes a big difference It's the small things, we all make mistakes Now did you wonder, ever stop to question away All your gods are greed, earthly speed All the blood we've spilled for the gold we and trees all the beautiful lowlands all the flowers yeah the birds and the bees and all the pretty things that slowly are slipping